Please give a warm welcome to everybody to our service this evening, to all those who are here in the building and to those who are watching online. We are going to begin by singing to God's praise in Psalm 145, the second version and the traditional version, page 444. O Lord, thou art my God and King, thee will I magnify and praise. I will be blessed and gladly sing unto thy holy name always. Each day I rise, I will be blessed and praise thy name time without end. Much to be praised and great God is, his greatness none can comprehend. And singing on to the end of the verse, Mark 8, O Lord, thou art my God and King. we join together in a word of prayer let us pray 
we give recognition unto thee that thou art our God and King. Thou art the Holy One of Israel, the one who inhabits eternity, the one who holds this world and all in it in the hollow of his hand. We come unto thee under the influence of thy Holy Spirit to render obedience unto thee, to give worship and honour to thy great and holy name, to confess that there is none like unto Jesus, no, not one. It is in his name that we come before thee. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And we do thank thee for the grace of faith that has enabled us to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is our surety for time and for eternity. It is our confession, O Lord, that we deserve nothing from thee. For by nature and by practice, we are poor, wretched sinners. But thou hast redeemed a people unto thyself. And we pray that each one of us here this evening might be part of that redemption. We pray that we would all confess that the Lord Jesus Christ is our hope and our surety for time and for eternity. And we pray also that thou wouldst help us to flee from all that is presumptuous within us, all that is sinful, and to confess before thee a thrice holy God that we are in so many aspects of our lives a great offence. But we do thank thee that thou hast not dealt with us according to our deserving neither hast thou rewarded us according to our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We pray thy blessing then, we pray thee upon our gathering together this evening, whether in the building here or online. We pray that thou hast give us the grace to lift up our voices in praise and adoration of thee. For who is a God like unto thee, who passes by the transgression of the remnant of thine heritage? We pray that we would take nothing for granted, but that in all thy providential dealings with us, thou wouldst cause us to flee unto thee, and not unto the world. We ask of thee to be a blessing upon our congregation here and every family and every home that is represented. We thank thee for the blessings that we have known as a congregation. And we pray that thou wouldst help us to look unto Christ continually every single day, not depending upon our own strength, but depending upon him who has promised never to leave nor to forsake those who are his own. We pray for the work and the witness of the congregation. We pray that thou would enable us, each one, to confess a true confession, showing to this world that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. There are many occasions in which it is to our shame that we have neglected our witness and testimony bearing. This world is lying in wickedness and in sin, and all around us there is much unbelief. <coughs> and even within our own families, we know that there are some there who know thee not and who are in need of thy redemptive love. We pray that thou wouldst challenge them and that thou wouldst challenge any in the congregation who have not submitted themselves humbly and meekly to the Lord Jesus Christ. To any of us who have wandered and strayed, we pray that thou wouldst keep us on the road that leads unto life everlasting. For we know that in many ways 
we come short of thy glory at every turn. Bless the young of our congregation, a rising generation to whom we are to exercise an influence of the grace of God. We pray for those who are away from us at this time, whether in college or university or in work experience, we commend them all to thee for those who may be in holiday. Lord, we thank thee for them and we pray that the influence of thy truth would bear upon them continually and that thou wouldst protect them from an ever-increasing world that seeks to dictate policy to them. Lord, we pray for our communities. We thank thee for the influence of the gospel bearing upon it. And we pray that thou wouldst continue to add to this congregation and to thy church universally that the message of Christ would be brought home to young lives and older lives, to those who are walking in darkness, and that they may come to know and to love the Saviour. So, Lord, keep us ever in the hollow of thine hand. May the love of Christ surround us and constrain us, and do thou take away all offence, loving us in Jesus. Amen. I want to read in the Old Testament in the book of the prophet Jonah and chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, reading at the beginning of the chapter. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. <coughs> then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, <coughs> What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be quiet, may be, may be quiet down for us? So he may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous, and he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quieten down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, 
have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men, the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And so on, and may God bless to us that reading of his word, and to his name be all the praise. We're now going to sing in Psalm 23, in the Sing Psalms version, Psalm 23, and singing from the beginning of the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, no want shall I know. He makes me lie down where green pastures grow. He leads me to, to rest where the calm waters flow. And so on to the end of the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. <coughs> Testament reading is taken from the Epistle to the Hebrews and chapter 2 and reading from the beginning <coughs> Hebrews chapter 2 Therefore we must pay, must, must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his word. But it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come 
of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honour, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything under his under everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made Lord than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honour because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctified and and those who are sanctified are all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell you of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again I will put my trust in him. And again Behold, I and the children of God. Behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Amen. And may God bless to us that reading of his word and to his name be all the praise. Shall we join together again the word of prayer? Let us pray. We do thank thee, O Lord, our God, that thy word is a testimony to our hearts and souls. It is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. As we traverse this world, with all its problems and difficulties, with all its temptations that rise up before us, we pray that thou wouldst give us the strength and the grace of faith to continue steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We pray that thy word would give us a sensitivity to the state of the world in which we live and with all the problems that exist. Some of them we see blazoned on our screens and television and news items and newspapers. There are many things going on in this world of which we are ignorant. But thou knowest everything. Thou knowest what is going on in this world in the darkness of unbelief and godlessness. But we pray especially just now for the many troubled spots in the world that are evident to us. We remember Israel, we remember Palestine, we remember all the regions that are war-torn at this time. We do not know or understand thy plan and purpose in this situation but we submit everything to thee knowing that thou wilt do all things well it can be so easy to intervene intervene and try to give an account of what we believe 
is the real problem. When thy word reminds us that the real problem that is the cause of all the trouble that exists under every nation under the sun, the real problem is sin and unbelief, godlessness, not giving God the due place that he deserves. So, Lord, we pray that thou wouldst come in thy mighty power, that thou wouldst turn the hearts of the nations of this world and their leaders, and especially our own nation, for we might look out upon a world and parts of the world where there is trouble and tribulation and trial, when back at home here we are under subjection to the power of the evil one. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known unto thou in wrath. Remember mercy. For we know that thou art a merciful God, not dealing with us according to our deserving, nor rewarding us according to our iniquity. We pray, therefore, Thou wouldst help us as a nation to come humbly and meekly and submissively to the God of all grace. <coughs> Bless thy cause then, we pray thee. Bless the preaching of thy word throughout the whole world. May it redound to thy glory, to the ingathering of many souls, changing the hearts and lives of people, including ourselves. We pray thy blessing upon those who are in need of thy care. Remember those of our congregation who may be aged and infirm and have many difficulties. Lord, we pray that thou wouldst be near to them and do thou help them, do thou do them good. We thank thee, O Lord, that although some may not be able to be with us, yet in heart and spirit, under the influence of God, they are with us through and through. So keep us ever in the hollow of thine hand. Forgive every offence, loving us freely in Christ. Amen. We're going to sing now in Psalm 139 in the Sing Psalms version. And we're going to sing 139b. Lord, you have searched my life and know my heart. You search me and you know me through and through. You know me when I sit and when I rise. And from afar my thoughts are known to you. And we're going to sing on to the end of the verse, Mark 12, six stanzas. Lord, you have searched my life.
Seeking the Lord's help, I would like us to turn to our first reading, which is in the prophecy of Jonah and chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1 and reading at verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up and so on. Now, I'm quite sure that this prophecy of Jonah is one that we have been accustomed to since we were very young. In our very young days, even probably when we were learning to read, the book of Jonah was a very interesting book for children. I'm sure also that even for those of us who are adults are intrigued by this prophecy. Intrigued why? Well, I think the answer maybe lies in these two buts, the but of three and the but of four, because they they both have great consequences upon those of whom it speaks. We are told in verse 3, Of course, God had said to Jonah to arise and go to Nineveh to speak against it and that God was going to come because of their evil. The second but, whatever Jonah was attempting to do, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the whole situation and whatever might have been Jonah's plan, his, as he thought it, a way of escape, because that's what it was to him. He thought that he was in control of his life. Now, of course, we've got to take into this this account of Jonah's experience the background of the fact that he was a prophet. He had been used by God, as we find in Second Kings, with regard to the situation of Jeroboam and how he had prophesied regarding that situation of the wickedness of Jeroboam and his successors. Now Jonah, like many of us, if we've been brought up in the faith, we've had the influence of home life that was did I use the expression Christian? The influence for good to give direction to a young life growing up in the midst of a generation of wickedness and evil. We were, as it were, put on the right path. At least that's what we thought. And so it was. That was the intention. That was the intention of the man in the parable, the prodigal son. The intention of his father was to instigate in his heart and life a way of life that was an example of the family at home. But the prodigal son knew better. At least he thought he knew better. And like ourselves, that's what we do do. We think we know it all. Even as we're growing up and we're being tempted with many temptations and have had to learn many lessons and maybe have had to have much rebuke from our parents and even chastisements of one kind or another. One thing is sure, we didn't really learn the lesson fully. And it's the same here for Jonah. He was vulnerable. 
He could have been the very opposite if he had listened to God and not gone his own way and taken, yes, acts into his own hand. We hear that Jonah finds himself under the guidance of God to go and do something for God. That's, after all, what he was ordained to do, for the want of a better expression. That was God's plan and purpose for Jonah, to fulfill the word and to preach the word that God had spoken to him. Why? Why with all the experience that Jonah must have gone through, now we don't have a huge account of his life apart from his own account, apart even from that little statement that we find in Second Kings. We don't have an awful lot about his life. But what we do have is tangible in this sense that we can recognize Jonah. We can recognize him in our own lives. And what that is, it is the character of disobedience. And when we have in this prophecy, but Jonah and but God, you have two situations that are going to clash. And these things happen to us all. We clash with God. Of that there is no doubt. There's no one in this building that can say that they have never been in a disobedient state before a thrice holy God. We all have. We have all come short of the glory of God. And I'm sure we ask ourselves very often, why has it come to this state? Why am I am I as I am what happened to Jonah did he forget all that he was taught with regard to sin and the need to repent did he forget everything about God being a merciful God because that's what seems to have overridden Jonah's experience here yes like you and I in situations that we come across, we exercise disobedience. And for Jonah here, the but is this, that I'm not going to do what God wants me to do. And I ask myself, and I'm sure the reasons that Jonah would give with regard to his denying to do the will of God for him is exactly the same as yours and mine. We have this what propensity to know what it is to experience the weakness of the flesh. I want to come back in a moment or two with regard to Jonah's weakness, with regard to his exercise of faith in God. But here Jonah was given something to do. Now I'm sure you and I, we would all have cringed at the very thought having to do what Jonah was asked to do. He was asked to go to that pagan people, Nineveh. 120,000 of them. And to preach against them. Now the very thought of that for for Jonah was this. He'll kill me. But it's not the first time that we've seen things like this happen in Scripture, where God has demanded and commanded for us and for people to do in the Old and the New Testament. But they refused. Why? Because of fear of the flesh. I can understand why Jonah was fearful. But it's not the first time, as I said, Second Kings will tell you that he was into a situation there where Jeroboam was a man of a very poor equality of character. An evil man, it is often spoken of. 
He didn't seem to be afraid then. So what was the difference between Jonah's fear then and his fear now? Well, it all boils down to this. That these people were heathen. They weren't Jews. And there's the problem for Jonah. And there's the problem for all of us. Because unless we can learn something of the character and nature of our own individual personalities and our vulnerabilities, we're going to fall into exactly the same trap as Jonah did. We know from later on in the prophecy the reason why he didn't want to go. He feared the Ninevites. They were an evil people. And he felt that they were going to rout Israel. And he didn't like the very thought that any good would come out of Nineveh. God said to Jonah, Tell these people what I'm going to do to them if they do not repent. Well, the message was too much for Jonah. But then we ask ourselves, we look into our own hearts, and we are called upon to be witnesses in a world, a surrounding world, a nearby world. The world that you and I live in, at least locally, is not that huge. But maybe we are a bit like Jonah. Maybe we are afraid of the reaction of the people that are around us. Maybe we are concerned as what would happen if we opened our mouths with regard to the God of grace and the God of mercy and also the God of judgment. <coughs> Jonah was so weak in the flesh that he was so afraid of the Ninevites and not just afraid of them. But he wasn't in the situation of thinking that these people out there have as much or should have as much an opportunity to repent and believe in God than any Jew. There was Noah's, Jonah's problem. He thought that the mercy of God was only for the Jews. It wasn't for anybody else. And he didn't like or didn't even want to anticipate that anyone from Nineveh would be favoured by God. I wonder, do we have a kind of a weakness there? Would we choose out, for example, whom we would wish to see into the kingdom of God? Of course we would. Especially when it comes to our own families, our loved ones. For we know that there are many of them who are still without Christ and without hope in this world and who are in danger of losing their own soul. Yes, we would be very jealous for them to be in the kingdom. But maybe there are others around us with whom we work, maybe, our neighbors or whatever. Maybe we don't have an interaction with them that we should have. Maybe we don't get on with them as we should do. Jonah was certainly of that state. And Jonah was very jealous of his Jewish background. What a fearful state he found himself to be in. Jonah went on a journey. And remember, this is a man of faith. A man who believed in God. And yes, a man who believed in the mercy of God. But a man who only believed in the mercy of God for a certain select type of people. It reminds us, surely, every one of us, that what Jonah was about to embark on was not something that he was going to win on. If you and I in any way at all in our witnessing 
try to divert our attention away from any soul that is in need of redemption. The Lord will cause us to answer for it. Well, how can I get out of this? How can I get out of those situations that God has placed before me? I'm sure many's a time we are like those people who looked upon the poor man that was robbed and they passed by on the other side. They weren't of his type. They weren't of his ethnic group, maybe. Whatever it was, there's one thing sure, that they weren't going to be interested in saving anybody that was not of their sort. Can you find a way if he escape? We have no right to. No more than Jonah had a right to. He decided to be disobedient to God. There's the rub, isn't it? The moment that you set your heart in disobedience to God is the moment that you head down a road to destruction. Jonah, as it says here, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You almost think it unthinkable that a man who was a prophet, that a man who was a believer, could in any way find himself going down this road. He went to flee to Tarshish. He, went, he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it and so to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. You and I know fine we can't hide from God. Psalm 139 is a beautiful example of how the eye of the Lord is upon us all. Now that could be something that would be disquieting within us. Yes, especially when we know we are being disobedient to God. But the thing is, Jonah knew only too well that he couldn't hide from God. But he was in a predicament, and this is where the test is, the trial of his faith. And we are all tried in one way or another before God. When do we let it slip? When does, pardon the expression, does our faith slip? Well, it must be when the overriding influence upon us is that of the world and not God. We are told in the book, in the, in the prophecy itself, that Jonah feared God. But how much did he exercise that fear of God? Fear of God? I'm sure it was a genuine fear that he had of God. Or was it a little bit like Adam? You know, when God asked him why he was running away or hiding, and he said he feared for fear of you. But Jonah had no reason to fear God. In fact, the very opposite, because God had put him in a place It was a great place, a privileged place. And yet, he allowed himself to let the world around him to dictate policy. Now, he's no different to you or I. The world can dictate policy to you and me in so many different ways. And so, what we want to do we want to run away and hide. The psalmist in 139 says we can't hide from God. No one can hide from God. But Jonah tried. Even to go into physical darkness, so to speak, down into the hold of the ship that he was going to escape from God in. As the psalmist says, 
Can darkness hide us from God? No, it can't. We cannot hide away from God in any sense of the word. For Jonah, going down into the ship, this was his way of escape. What's yours and mine, I wonder? What are we like? Why did Jonah seek to run away from God? I don't think it was because he was fearful that God would in some way bring a threatening thing upon him. I think it was that he made a decision that was a wrong decision. It was a bad decision. It was as though the devil was sitting on his shoulder commanding him and directing him. This is the way to go in that ship of course we are told whatever might have been the butt of Jonah Jonah fled he fled did he not he fled from the presence of the Lord but he couldn't but then in verse 4 we see how this is going to map out very clearly But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. There's God's intervention. And isn't it good that many times we find that the Lord intervenes upon our lives when we know too that we are doing wrong or we're on the wrong road. We offend him in so many ways. And God will send some form of correction or judgment or some providence. We don't know what it is. You know what it will be for you and I know what it is for me. But there is no doubt that God will not allow the situation to continue because after all, Jonah is God's servant and that's important in the way that the Lord is dealing with Jonah at this occasion Jonah might want to run away and flee from God but it's not in his best interest in fact what is in his best interest is that God intervenes into the situation in which he has placed himself Now as we read, and one should have probably read the whole of this this prophecy to help us, but one of the real reasons for Jonah not wanting to have to go to Nineveh was the fact that, you know, it's going to be a waste of time because God is just going to destroy them anyway, so why should I put myself in that position? Why should I put myself in that position when I know, says Jonah, no good can ever come of it. But that's when Jonah lost track of God and the providence of God. For he himself is about to go through a merciful experience and dependent upon a merciful God to save him from the situation. And yet he wasn't wanting that God would show mercy to the Ninevites, bring them in to the faith. What do you and I think of Jonah's response? Do we recognize it? I'm sure we do. He feared God would forgive the Ninevites. Why should he fear that? As I said already, why should we fear anything of the intervention of God upon the life of anybody to change that life, to bring it out of darkness into his marvelous light? As I said, the Ninevites might have been a far cry from even the people that you and I know and meet with 
and maybe have a selfishness towards with regard to the gospel. That we have no right to withhold the ministry of God's word from these people. Joseph was, Jonah was so fixed upon this act, not only of running away from God, but not wanting to proclaim the unsearchable riches. When Jonah went into that boat, and when God intervened and blew that wind across that boat, and the result of it was that it was going to be threatened, it was going to go into the bottom of the sea. And those who were on board, this is an interesting part, I always think, the men in the boat were as much heathen as the Ninevites. So in a sense, he was being a bit hypocritical. He was depending upon these people in this boat to, as it were, take him to a safe haven. But God wasn't going to allow that. We cannot find a safe haven for our troubles and our tribulations and, yes, our disobedience by running away. Because, after all, God will find us. And the thing is, that's what we want, don't we? When you and I are in trouble in any way at all, we want God to be there to help us. The situation for us unfolds after the men in the ship have thrown out half their cargo and then they find that by casting lots, they find that the one who has caused the trouble is Jonah. And here, they are sick of heart at the very fact that what he is asking them to do, throw him out of the ship. They have a conscience much more than Jonah has a conscience. But nevertheless, God makes the provision. And it's interesting too, that these men who were heathen found themselves being influenced by Jonah's God. They were under the influence of Jonah's God, though Jonah himself is trying to run away. It's the last thing that they wanted to do was throw him overboard. But Jonah had to be brought to his senses. And that's how the story goes on. God's providential dealings with Jonah will be fulfilled. His command that he had given to Jonah to go to Nineveh had to be proclaimed. And that's what happened. We'll leave it for another time. I would like to look at the rest of the chapter because it's interesting how it unfolds. Because for a man of God, yes he was, no different to any one of us here, men and women of God, if we believe in God. God is not going to give up on us. We heard something of that this morning. The Lord will not forsake those who are his people. In fact, he'll go to the nth degree to protect them, even from themselves. So whatever plan or purpose you and I have for our future, for our life, let it not be in disobedience to God and to wish that God would dwell within us and be the director, the lamp to our feet and a light to our path. After all, is it not God that holds us in the hollow of thine hibbit's hand. It's interesting, and with this we'll continue sometime, it's interesting that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of mercy, even to those of us who are disobedient to us. He is still a merciful God. Shall we pray? O oh Lord, our gracious God,
We pray that thou wouldst help us to learn lessons, even from that part of Jonah that we are looking at. We know that we cannot run away from thee. We know that the temptations of selfishness and hatred and bigotry can often overwhelm us. But thou art calling us out of darkness. The desire that thou hast for each and every one of us is to believe and put our trust in Jesus. So continue with us, we pray thee, forgiving all offence, loving us in him. Amen. We're going to conclude by singing in the words of Psalm 32 in the traditional version. Psalm 32, and we're going to sing from verse 6 to verse 8. Sorry. Psalm 32 at verse 6. For this shall every godly one his prayer make to thee. In such a time he shall thee seek, as found thou mayest be. Surely when floods of waters great do swell up to the brim, they shall not overwhelm his soul, nor once come near to him. And so on to the end of the verse, Mark 8. For this shall every godly one. Now may grace, mercy, and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest upon and remain with you.